In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Paul's letter to the Galatians is all about identity. Paul is wrestling with the question of what does it mean for a person to be a Christian? There are those, Paul's opponents, if we can call them that, who want to say that the way you get into being a Christian, that all are welcome, but the way you get into being a Christian is by becoming a child of Abraham, which means submitting to circumcision. Paul has a different answer. Paul discusses at length how you get in and what it means once you're in. And his argument sort of comes to a, a climax, although it's not, it's not the final thing he has to say, quite obviously, but it comes to a bit of a climax at the end of chapter 3. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into the Messiah have put on the Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are the Messiah's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to the promise. Since we're going to have a baptism later today, it's worth reflecting for a moment on these words. The way you get into the community of faith, the way you get in to Christ, is to be baptized into Him, to unite yourself through the sacrament of baptism to His life, His death. And his resurrection. That's why on this day when we baptize a new member of our community. The church refers to this act as a sacrament. Because something is happening. It's not merely a sign. It's not merely a symbol. This new life. This new beautiful person will be made a member of our community, and made a member of the body of Christ. And once we are in Christ, whatever we were before, whatever we thought identified us the most, that disappears because we become new creations and members of the one body of the Messiah. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't incredible enough, Paul says here at the end, this final verse, the most remarkable thing which turns some theological systems, both of his own day and of ours, completely on their head. He says that if you are Christ, meaning you have been baptized into the Messiah, and therefore put him on, 
as your primary, if not only, identity, rather than your nationality, race, social standing, or gender, then you are, to his opponent's point, a child of Abraham, not by circumcision, but by baptism into Abraham's offspring, into the Messiah. And therefore, an heir of the promises that God made to Abraham and his offspring forever. And right here, this exact moment, this sermon could take a hard turn towards a talk about different theological systems and what it means to be Israel in the New Testament and what it means to be a child of Abraham, but that is not what I want to talk about this morning. Because Paul's vision of what it means to be in Christ, as great as this sort of these three verses are, is more than merely baptism as our entry point, the Messiah as our identity, and the promises to Abraham and his offspring as ours by right of being in Christ. Paul's concern throughout this letter and throughout really all of his letters is not just theological. It's not just about getting our heads right and how we think about God and ourselves and the Messiah. It's ethical. It's ethical as well. Paul is deeply concerned that our theology translates into a way of life, into a new way of life in Christ. And so in chapter 5, He turns to a discussion of freedom from the law and freedom in the Holy Spirit. And then his ethical discussion and the letter itself comes to a close with the words we heard this morning. And there are a few verses here that I want to focus in on. Particularly verses 9 and 10. If you have your booklet, you can see them in there. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'd like to imagine a world in which it goes without saying that part of what it means to be a Christian is doing good for other people. But lately it seems that it does need to be said, it needs to be reiterated. There are certain voices today who want to suggest that a Christian's only responsibility is to those inside the church. For example, there are those who suggest that when Jesus says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That he refers only to Christian brothers and sisters, or perhaps his national brothers and sisters, the Jews. Whatever one wants to say about this wrong interpretation, the church has always interpreted 
the whole of the New Testament to say that one of the churches and therefore one of the Christians' primary vocations is to do good for everyone. To bring the kingdom of God to this world. Not merely for those of the same faith as ours, or the same country as ours, or the same race as ours, or the same gender, or the same social standing, or whatever. But for everyone. And I want to point out here something that we say every Sunday that maybe just kind of slips past us. Because I I say it, and I don't know how well everyone is listening. But when Jesus is asked about the great commandment, he responds with the summary of the law. Which the celebrant says almost every Sunday. And the first commandment is about loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And then Jesus says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A second is the second. That's how we have it in our liturgy. The second is like it. The second commandment is like the first. Because if we've listened to the Old Testament prophets at all, the primary way in which we love God is not through our worship, not through our services, our acts of worship, but through loving our neighbors as ourselves. Just one example. Isaiah says, is not this the fast that I choose? If you remember the context of Isaiah 58, he's been telling them, I I have rejected your fast, I have rejected your sacrifices. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? More examples could be given. But what's clear is that the primary way in which Christians are to love God with all that they are is by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And therefore, Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if, if we do not Give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, it's not that we have a responsibility to do good only for our Christian brothers and sisters, but rather we have a responsibility to do good for everyone and especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the good news, not the euangelion, just the positive side of this sermon. That is something this church, all of you, do incredibly well. This church is 
overly generous with its time, treasure, and talents. And we focus in, as we did this weekend, and as some of you have done for months, on doing good for members of our Christian family. But we're also here for the whole community around us, and in fact, for the whole world, as Christ gives us opportunity. Because of your generosity... We send 5% of our giving right out our doors to other organizations, both locally and internationally, that are doing good in the world. Because of your generosity, we're able to have gift cards on hand for those who come by and need food or gas. We're able to pay people's electric bills. We're able to put them up in rooms for a night. We were able to send a kid who none of us had really met before, at least I hadn't, uh, with mental disability, mental issues, back to his home in West Virginia when he had no way to get back to his family. Because of your generosity and hard work, it's not just giving financially, we're able to have our trailer park ministry. And we were able to help one of our elder sisters move from one residence to another. And we've been able to donate to various food banks. And the list really could go on and on and on. And I'm saying this because it occurred to me as I was thinking through these verses that so much of this that happens at this church, because you all are so incredibly generous, happens outside of our Sunday worship. You might hear about some of it. You might hear about the requests. But that's not enough to get the full picture of the good that this church is able to do because of your generosity with your time, treasure, and talents. So all I really want to do today is say two things. First, I want to say thank you. There are some people who worked incredibly hard this weekend who deserve uh, a special thank you. But just in general, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your time. Thank you for enabling this church to be the church, and to do good for everyone that Christ brings to our doors, and especially those who are of our household of faith. And second, I just want to encourage you with Paul. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. This is why the church exists. This is part of that healing for the nations that I mentioned last week. We are here to do good, to bring the kingdom of God to as many people as we can. With our limited resources, with our limited time, with our limited lifespan. But it can be tiring. It can be exhausting. 
Because there is so much need and so much hurt and so much work to be done. But don't lose heart. Let us not grow weary of doing good. This is Paul's exhortation. He's not just saying, hey, don't get tired of this. Keep doing it. He's making a claim here. The good that we do for others is like investing seeds into the soil. And in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. The harvest is coming. The kingdom of God one day will come in full force. And the one who sows Not to the flesh, not to themselves, not to their own interests, but to the Spirit who is bringing the kingdom of God to this world. The one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. So thank you, and don't lose heart. Continue to do good. Because because of what you guys do in this church, This small group of people is able to do incredible things, and I couldn't be more proud to be your rector. Amen.